You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And look, the big news that everybody's talking about is news we'll get to in just a few minutes. J.J. Watt, no longer with the Houston Texans. We'll break down what it means, why it happens, what's next. We'll get to all of that in just a few minutes. But there's something bigger. There's something more important. And there's something that we're even hotter on right now in the NFL world. And that's where we're going to start with some Straight Talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And this circles around the decision of the Jacksonville Jaguars to go out and hire Chris Doyle. A name not many people knew before this hire may not have been paying attention to. But for anyone that doesn't know, Chris Doyle is a former strength coach at the University of Iowa who was fired after he was accused of making racist remarks and belittling and and bullying players. Now, that firing has uh, at, at some point shocked a little bit of the college football community. Now the NFL, all of a sudden, Urban Meyer decides to bring him onto their staff. Before we get to our thoughts, I want you to hear what the Fritz Pollard Alliance Executive Director Rod Graves had to say about all of this. And this is the quote. At a time when the NFL has failed to solve its problem with racial hiring practices, it's simply unacceptable to welcome Chris Doyle into the ranks of NFL coaches. Doyle's departure from the University of Iowa reflected a tenure riddled with poor judgment and mistreatment of black players. His conduct should be as disqualifying for the NFL as it was for the University of Iowa. This is the important part to me. Urban Meyer's statement, I've known Chris for close to 20 years, reflects the good old boy network that is precisely the reason there is such a disparity in employment opportunities for black coaches. Sarah, this isn't just bad judgment. This is terrible. This is a bad look by the Jaguars, and this is something that the organization, in my mind, should fix right now. Yeah, to your point that I've known him for 20 years and my opinions on who he is are more important than the dozens of players who came forward with specific examples of racism and racial bias. Here's what Urban Meyer said in his presser when asked inevitably about concerns that people might have about hiring someone who no less than a year ago was fired for being racist. Here's what he said. I vet everyone on our staff. And like I said, the relationship goes back close to 20 years and a lot of hard questions asked, a lot of vetting involved. And uh, with the, with all our staff, but uh, uh, we 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 did a very good job vetting that one. Okay, so I would love to ask: Did you vet him by asking any of the dozens of players who sent complaints to Iowa about him? Did you ask your own player, Greg Mabin, who was a player at Iowa and is on the Jaguars now, and will have this player that or this coach that he complained about walking into his meeting rooms and and weight room every day? Did you care at all? whether Doyle is actually guilty of racial bias, which an investigation found and which is why he was fired. Do you care if the black coaches and players that play for you will feel comfortable and respected? What are we doing here, Fitz, if back in June or July this man was fired because we were trying to have uncomfortable and purposeful conversations about racism and the place that it might have, the insidiousness that it might have within our sports. And yet here we are months later back to being completely complacent with this. He would not have been hired last summer, so why is he being hired now? And if I'm the teammates of Mabin and the black players and the black coaches, I'm stepping up here. And and the problem is, Fitz, the Jags don't have a lot of long-tenured veterans with star power, with a big name, with a lot of influence. But I don't want my teammates walking into meetings and practice and knowing that that guy is on the wrong side of things, that he does not respect me, no matter whether his behavior stays on the up and up for whatever length of time here, you know 
who he is deep down. And now I have a lot of questions about who Meyer is deep down because he clearly is prioritizing whatever feeling he has for supporting this guy over the feelings of the black coaches and players and staff members with the Jaguars. And to, to your point about the vetting and the, and the Utah stuff, Doyle was a coach there for one season in 1998 and Urban Meyer didn't get there till 2004. They might have a relationship, but continuing to throw that out there, I believe disingenuously implies that they were on a staff together. And whether or not 20 years ago, what he heard about that guy was good and what he's heard since about his ability as a coach, this is a slap in the face to anyone on his team and does and shows he just does not care. At about 8 o'clock Eastern, we'll be joined by Terrence Pryor, by the way, who played uh, for Iowa, was a linebacker and is a part of the conversation that's happened about Doyle. So we'll get some expertise from somebody that was in the locker room. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, there are a lot of reasons why I think this is an inexcusable hire, not the least of which is I judge harshly any time a first-time staff is being put together. For all the success that Urban Meyer has had, this is his first attempt at an NFL staff, which is really where you get a sense of what they're trying to build culturally, where they believe their weaknesses are, why it's important to have certain people in the room. There is no one on the staff that is in contact more with players than a strength and conditioning coach. Frankly, I didn't know that. I'm the first to admit I didn't know that. Then I started working with the Golics, and they pointed it out repeatedly that strength and conditioning coaches are the guys that are in there every single day implementing the culture, implementing the way things are going to run, they're implementing the toughness, all of the the cliches that we hear. That's part of the culture that they are responsible for creating. So when I see strength and conditioning coach, the part of it I add in my mind is culture creator. So what we have is Urban Meyer allowing somebody to come in that's a culture creator that was just released from Iowa because of his racist comments, because of the tone of his, the way he worked and because it was inappropriate. So if, if you've gone from college football, which has absolutely no morals and 99% of the way it does business saying, no, we can't be around this guy to Urban Meyer saying, now we're good. We're, we're straight family. This is going to be great. I don't understand how you can do that and I don't understand how we can look at Urban Meyer and see this as an excusable hire. Coaches when they are hired, first time coaches particularly, part of the interview process is what staff are you going to build? How are you going to build them and who are you going to bring into the building? The number of people that have had to okay this hire from Urban Meyer all the way up through the Jaguars organization should all be ashamed of themselves and should all have to answer the very specific questions you just asked. How was he vetted? Why are they allowing him in this room? And what could have possibly changed that suddenly it's acceptable to bring somebody like this in that is going to be responsible every single day for what it means to be a Jacksonville Jaguar? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And the wildest part to me, not well, one of the wildest parts is that Meyer came into this job with already people complaining about his reputation for the multitude of criminal players under his watch at his previous stops for feigning ignorance and covering up for alleged domestic abuser Zach Smith, blaming his health and his medications for forgetting things when he just didn't care. And he comes in and the first move he makes here is to hire this guy of all the people that are available. What would he say to his players to defend why he wanted to hire someone fired less than a year ago for racism? What would make his players feel valued? What answer could he give them that isn't the same, I vetted him, I vetted him? What specifics as to why you believe that this was the person to hire when less than a year ago he was fired? And why bring this on if you have a track record for this already? Is it mere hubris of I can hire whoever I want, you can't stop me? 
is it loyalty to birds of a feather? Does this guy get fired for something that Urban Meyer also thinks? And he thinks deep down he shouldn't have gotten fired for that. I'm going to hire him. And what about Chad Khan, the owner who we know has at times spoken publicly against racism and also gave over a million dollars to Donald Trump? Plays both sides a lot of the times. Because this conversation doesn't stop with, I vetted him. Okay, everybody good now? This is a conversation that goes on as people are paying attention to the behaviors of Doyle and Meyer. And what does the NFL do about this? To your point, that Fritz Pollard Alliance speaking out. Shouldn't the owners and Goodell and the NFL itself care enough if they're going to put end racism in the end zones and donate money and act like they've changed? Shouldn't they care that they are now employing somebody who was just fired for racism? Fitz, this this to me, I, I honestly, I hate I hate sounding naive enough to believe that any progress was made. But how gross would this have sounded just a couple months ago, right after he was fired? And why aren't enough people grossed out by it now? Uh, it's a great point, and that's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Brandon tweeted me and said, what did you expect from Urban? His players in Florida were killing folks. He covered up domestic abuse at Ohio State. Why y'all just now questioning what kind of person he is? Oh, I'm not. Only Trust me. You, oh, just right. wait. You should have heard me when he got hired. Yeah, we, we've, been, we've been on this Urban train for a long time, but the only thing you can do when things like this happen are continue to try and uh, establish some level of accountability. And you're right, Sarah. The league should step in. Absolutely. Coming up, uh, obviously, we've got more on this, and don't forget, Forget at eight o'clock. We'll be uh, we'll be joined by somebody that has played uh, for this uh, for Coach Doyle. We'll get some understanding of what was going on. In the meantime, next up, we'll get to the NFL story of the day. It was JJ Watt and the Texans parting ways. What's next for Watt? We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We've got some great guests tonight, by the way. Uh, we're going to get a lot of celebrity power coming in. We're also going to get some insight as we were just talking about Urban Meyer's decision with the strength and conditioning coach that he hired. We'll talk to somebody that knows that situation well uh, coming up next hour. But, Sarah, the big news of the day, and it was in some ways to people outside of Houston, I think fairly shocking news, J.J. Watt and the Texans have parted ways. So, uh, obviously, no rings for J.J. Watt. They got their rings brought to you by Macy's, at least not yet uh, in his career. But now he will get the opportunity to walk away from the Texans and see if he can find the right spot for himself. In the meantime, the Texans continue to have deal with a drastic rebuild as it feels like daily there's a story of somebody that either wants out of the building or has found their way out of the building. J.J., the newest portion, uh, the newest player to walk out. Yeah, this um, this Texans team is unrecognizable, right? I mean, consider what you thought of as the Houston Texans for a stretch there. It was Hopkins. It was Clowney. It was Watt. It was Watson. None of them are going to be there once, presumably, this Watson deal goes through. And what's remarkable is at $17 million in the last year of this deal – J.J. Watt probably a little overpaid, right? He's still got a couple good years left. I think he could certainly contribute and help a team. But I don't know that he'll make that in the free market. And he's walking away from that because that's how much he wants out. He's looking around at the team crumbling around him, at the terrible culture, at what all signs seem to be pointing to is Easterby's influence on this team. And all we're hearing that's positive about this team is from the people just hired by the ones that we presume are the problem, 
right? So they have to pay lip service to the people hiring them and say, we're great. This is going to be good. Everybody else is running for the hills. And that includes a guy who was the epitome of this franchise, the face of the team, the person, not just player, but person who did more for the Texans franchise over his tenure than anybody. And that counts seven, uh, sorry, $37 million given to that community as they recovered. So it's it's wild to imagine him being gone, maybe not so much as we're starting to really realize how dysfunctional this franchise is and how much they will be stripped right down to the studs before they're built up again if they are. Well, and one thing, you know, I, I don't care what his numbers were last year. That was not a great Texans team. We all know it. He still battled through it. He and they were bad. He, he still had outside. five sacks. and yeah. yeah. I mean, and and he's a guy that you can literally put anywhere on the line, and he's going to be able to get pressure. He's 32 years old. I know he has injury history, but he's immediately going to make any team that he goes to better. And uh, Ed Werder, by the way, says sources approximately a dozen teams have shown interest in Watt, including the Steelers. Well, obviously, his brothers play there. The Browns, the Bills, the Titans. I would be stunned if that doesn't number doesn't turn to 31, right? Like, everybody's going to look at J.J. Watt and say, okay, well, what are the chances? Like, we're interested in you. Are you interested in us? And and really, my heart breaks right now for Texans fans. We've talked before, Sarah, but it, it's such a fleeting world. Like, it, it wasn't that long ago that the Texans were up on the Chiefs 21 nothing in the playoffs. And I sat here thinking, man, the Texans are going to be good for a long time because J.J. Watt is part of the talented defense, and Deshaun Watson is an epic quarterback. Like, they— you look at the pieces that have left that organization, and now you've got a fan base that's reminded that just like Jags fans felt a few years ago when they were in the AFC Championship game, thought they were on the precipice of greatness. Like, it is really difficult to sustain anything, and it makes it more important to hit when you're in your window because the, the Texans, in a matter of a year and a half, went from in the window to completely rebuilding, and God knows when they'll be good enough and good again. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, Apple iTunes, the podcast app, ESPN podcast, uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, yeah, I, I think interesting, too, is that McNair said he wanted to do right by what? By releasing him, allowing him to choose where he wanted to go. But there's also an argument that they didn't have to run the risk of any cap hits regard with, with a trade, right? Um they completely remove his number off the book, $17.5 million for the 2021 season. Uh, they likely would, would, would lose him next year. But the sort of unceremoniousness of it all, whether or not that might be the right move for a team that's obviously going to be in a rebuild once they get rid of Watson, it's still something so shocking about a former three-time defensive player of the year in the face of the franchise just saying, okay, bye. Right. Uh, maybe they don't want a prolonged public fight with yet another player. Watson, you can't let walk. Right. There's too much contract left and he is way too talented to lose for nothing. You would say the same about Watt, except again, he's a year away and they do at least clear cap space on him. And maybe they just didn't want to deal fits with another terrible, embarrassing, shameful public fight with a beloved player if they already have Watson on their hands and it's not going away. So trade for the player, trade for the contract. And, you know, I'll look at our favorite teams. Like, uh, you know, frankly, if the Raiders had traded a, you know, a late pick to get J.J. Watt, I mean, I don't care if it costs $17.5 million. I want somebody uh, on that team that can help rush the passer and also sort of bring greatness to everybody around him. So I guess I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. Like, as a Bears fan, if you were looking at $17.5 million, like, in a beautiful world where salary cap doesn't matter, if it's $17.5 million, you good with that? Because I think that's got to play into the whether or not he could have been traded conversation. 
Yeah, I don't know that they would have gotten a deal that that we all would have agreed was uh, on one side or the other was act was right. It's more the idea that he's just gone for nothing, right? That that you have this guy who presumably has another couple good years left, and you got nothing for him, and you just let him walk, and and how that plays into the optics, if not the re- realities, even of what's going on there. And now, where does he go? I mean, what's interesting is the couple places that everyone's pointing to, right? You got Green Bay, of course. He's a Wisconsin guy. They don't really have the cap room for it, but they could do some sort of backloaded deal and move some things around if they really wanted to. The money would be better elsewhere if he has his mind on on a, on one last big deal. Pittsburgh playing with his brothers. Uh, Tampa Bay, if he wants to ring chase in his last couple years. Um, and then, of course, the Sh- Chicago Bears, right? His oh, wife yes, plays yes, yes. for the Red Stars. He mm-hmm. could be at home. He spends a lot of time in Chicago already where they split their time. He's got some ties to Illinois from growing up. So uh, any one of those would be interesting. Uh, my money would be if they can make the money side of it work, the Packers, a team that's close to winning and he has personal ties to. I don't see him being a guy that goes to Tampa Bay, even if it could get him closer to a ring. There's something about him that feels very, I want to do this the right way. I'm not, I'm not going to latch on to a championship team at the end. Well, and, and I'm, I'm left to wonder what he's going to be looking for, not just championship-wise, but environment-wise, you know, because does he want to go someplace that's fun? Does he want to play with family? Does he not want to play with family? These are all the decisions he gets to make at this point, rightfully so. I, I would say, and this is so in the weeds in the mindset of, of contracts, but I would keep an eye on the unlikely-to-be-earned incentives because it feels like what's realistic is he's going to get a good deal with a ton of incentives in there that they'll they'll term unlikely to be earned because they don't count count against the salary cap the same way so you know he can get a a deal where he could still get mega paid as long as he goes in and has the season that we all know he can have yeah I I think it's I think it's fun but again I like chaos right now it's hard for me to separate my desire for all the other teams to blow up and all those talented players to be relocated, including maybe Chicago, uh, from my from you know my professional viewpoint. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be kind of fun to see some of these players get a chance outside of uh, maybe where they've been limited. I mean, J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack on the same defense. Just wouldn't be fair. <laughs> let's just I don't care if it's a 32 year old version of J.J. Watt. It still wouldn't be fair. All right, uh, coming up. All the NBA action you can hope for. Somebody's rounding back into MVP form. We'll talk about him next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Let's head out to the Goodyear hotline where a friend of the show and ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel joins us. Hi, Nikki. Hi, guys. How we doing? Well, we're excited for you because uh, you are covering an MVP candidate who is Really, really fun to watch right now. Steph Curry, I think the stat I saw, the team is plus 67 when he's on the court and minus 12 when he's off it. Uh, He is very clearly the most valuable player for his team. To me, it feels like the team's not good enough for him to really have a shot at it, though, right? That's the conversation. He's earning it, but uh, the team won't help him out. Yeah, that's it. And that's going to be Steph's problem as far as winning a third MVP award because on the whole... This Warriors team kind of is what they are and have been all season. They're going to win a couple games. They're going to lose a couple games. They are going to hover around 500 for most of the year. And you both know the key to this MVP award isn't just, okay, you got to play well. It's about the narrative. <laughs> and Steph's already won it twice. Uh, and they just don't have the talent around him, especially without Clay Thompson, to think that they're going to be able to push 
at least that much higher into that top half of the Western Conference. So if Steph keeps playing like this, he will absolutely be in the conversation. But I would be stunned if he were to, at the end of the year, be the one winning the award. So how does Steph feel? I mean, in a world where we're constantly talking about player empowerment in the NBA and what everybody likes and doesn't like, and we know the Warriors are trying to rebuild this thing, how does Steph feel about this whole process playing this well and maybe not getting that recognition? Well, Fitz, he knows it's kind of a joke because if we're talking about most valuable player, this is easy. <laughs> I mean, you take Steph Curry off the Warriors, oh my gosh. Although I say that, we saw what happens when you take Steph Curry off the Warriors. It was 15 and 50 last year. (laughs) Uh, They were unbelievably unwatchable uh, most nights. So uh, if if you're talking about the pure definition of the award, Steph Curry is the MVP of the league. Uh, But that's not how this works. He's well aware of that. He discussed it last night. He said it's the way it's always been as far as the ramifications surrounding who should win and and, and who gets uh, the push needed to, to get the votes to, to win the whole thing. But in reality, Steph is very, uh, very conscious of the conversation. And Fitz, he'd love nothing more than to, to change it and to keep playing this way and to force the issue a little bit more. But uh, I think mean, he knows that they've got to win more down the line in order for for him to pick up steam for his candidacy and I think he is very confident that if Clay comes back and Wiseman gets a little bit better and they add some more pieces around him his days of winning the award aren't done over the next few years here it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz we're talking to our buddy Nick Friedel ESPN NBA reporter covering the Warriors uh, real quickly did you agree with me that you know Steve Kerr usually uh, wouldn't flat out say we're playing the long game here, but that he's right in admitting so and that the limitation of of Steph minutes is really the only answer for a team that's not going to contend this year, even if he is playing full games? Yeah, I I think it's the right call. And Sarah, I know fans aren't going to be happy about it, but they want Steph to be playing on this level for at least a few more years and when there he can sell is, tickets, uh, right? Because they, they can't yeah, complain about spending their hard-earned money to see him because nobody's spending their hard-earned <laughs> money. You can't get in there, so at least save him for when you much, can. <laughs> exactly. It's much easier to do that uh, in an empty arena uh, when you don't have that pressure uh, to, to win every single night the same way. So uh, he knew what he was saying. I think the organization is smart in how they're going about it. And this is why uh, they, they've set up that, that minutes limit and are trying to hold to it. So this weekend with KD coming to town and obviously a matchup against Brooklyn, we'll make it about KD against the Warriors, but this is really organization against organization. We've talked a lot about where the Warriors are headed, but we know that Brooklyn's all in right now. So if you're looking in a magic crystal ball for the next three to five years, which organization is better positioned? Ooh, fifth. I like that one. I, I... I I would actually lean towards the Warriors because I'm not sure if defensively the Nets are going to get to the point they need to uh, to to win a title and get through the East. Uh, I have a lot of questions about the Warriors. I, I'm not sure what Clay is going to look like when he does come back. I'm not sure if Draymond is going to be motivated. Uh, at the same level and going to be able to play at at that level that we've seen him at over the last few years. 
But having said that, when I watch the Nets, it's not that they still can't improve. It's just I, I, I see a team that is fun to watch. It's going to score a lot of points. But are they going to be able to defend at a level that it takes to win a championship? And I, I don't think the answer is yes. And I, this is uh, somebody who uh, I've watched Kevin for years. I watched him very closely a couple seasons ago. He looks like his old self. He looks awesome. And I know what Kyrie and Harden can do, but I also know that that team has a lot of flaws. So uh, if if I were banking on one or the other to get to a title quicker, I actually would take the Warriors because I've seen what Steph can do. I know the money that Joe Lacob would pay to, to get them close. And if they can get that uh, Minnesota pick uh, next year and it's in that top five and Klay Thompson comes back looking close to his old self, I know that they're going to be able to add one more piece and push them much closer to where they are right now. Nick Friedel is with us here on Spain and Fitz, and nobody in the media today, and I'm counting impeachment trial, uh, Urban Meyer answering Crystal, nobody in the media today will get a tougher question than predicting something involving Kyrie three years from now. Not to mention three <laughs> days. Three, you just That's asked the most impossible point. question to answer. What is anything that Kyrie is involved with going to look like three years from now? Uh, Nick, we've got the game, uh, as we mentioned, on, on Saturday, NBA on ABC, Saturday game, Nets at Warriors. We'll get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone on this one, by asking about the video and Kevin Durant. This is something that they're going to wait and do a full-blown thing for when there's fans, so we expect just a, a tribute and respect from everybody in the building and then move on, right? Yeah, uh, but, Sarah, I, I'd say this. The Warriors are using uh, all of these former players who come back and last year before uh, the league shut down, Andre Godala came back and he won the three titles with the Warriors. Clay Thompson gave a very nice speech before a game. There were pictures of Andre all over Chase Center. These are not just in honor of the players uh, in, in trying to, to get them to remember the good times. The, these are recruiting tools. Uh, the organization wants to point to uh, if if they do, in fact, retire his jersey and Joe Lacob is on record saying uh, as much the Warriors owner, they want to point to that jersey and say, see, see how we treat our former players. We are the first-class organization of first-class organizations. Uh, we handle things differently out here. So, yes, there will be a tribute video, but you can bank some serious, serious money that a year from now, hopefully, knock on wood, when fans are allowed back in NBA arenas and it's filled, there is going to be a huge Kevin Durant celebration from the Warriors because they want to show not only their appreciation for what he helped them accomplish, but they want to show the rest of the league, hey, this is how it's done out here, and it's done differently out here than anywhere else. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good pretty good thing to be able to hold that up and try to get people to come based on uh, the dynastic run that they had and the potential that they could uh, do it all again if they get the right pieces. Uh, Nick, enjoy the game this weekend, uh, and enjoy getting to watch Steph again every night. I mean, I'm really happy for you. I know that you're the curse, and you're the reason that he was out last year. Um, so I'm looking, you know, really, I, I'm looking out for the rest of the guys on that team and when things are going to go wrong for them. But in the meantime, I want you to enjoy getting to watch Steph doing what he's doing. Oh, it's, it's, I, I do miss y'all, but truly, I, and you know this, one of the reasons I took this job was to, to watch Steph, to be around 
uh, and see what he was doing night to night. So to see him out there, it is not only huge for the Warriors, it's huge for the league. It is crucial mm-hmm. for the NBA and all the things that they're going through right now for Steph Curry to stay healthy and play like he's playing because he brings a lot of joy to a lot of people and he makes the casual fans show up, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, and tune into what he's doing. That's right. Thanks for the time, Nick. Appreciate it. You're the best. Always. See you guys. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel. Don't forget again, NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as Durant and the Nets visit Steph Curry and the Warriors. Presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Well, we got the NBA covered. Now we need the WNBA. We have not been paying enough attention. We're going to bring in an expert to tell us what we missed. It's next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The Super Bowl behind us. We still have tons of NFL news, whether that's Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, where they're headed Um, or all sorts of other uh, sort of free agency chaos. But we do need to turn our focus to some of the things we've ignored while we were focusing on the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. And one of those is a red-hot WNBA free agency period. We're going to get some help with that now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We've been doing a segment called What Did I Miss? Having an expert on to catch us up and to help us with that now, it's going to be Ari Chambers from Bleacher Report and the founder of Highlight Her. Well, what did I miss? Sarah, how are you it's doing? where the music goes. It's where the yeah. music goes, but the music never came. Oh, there it is. There's the music. What did I Woo. miss? Listen, when I want my Hamilton, I get my <laughs> Hamilton, Okay. <laughs> I will wait for it, but I, I will like, get it. Do I talk? Do I not? You were like, uh, what's up, girl? Yeah. Um, Ari, we love having you. Ari Ivory on Twitter. Ari Chambers, IRL. Let's start with the free agent splash that stood out the most to you. What was the biggest move? The biggest move, everybody was talking about Candace Parker going to uh-huh. Chicago. Uh-huh. That's now, right. Now, now, Sarah, initially, I was, I was living. I was like, you know, the dynasty, I'm all about, you know, players like, you know, Dianas Rossi, she's a phoenix resigned and still there. Sue Bird, we still see Seattle rocking out with her. But Candace moving to Chicago, I actually talked to her after that, and she was saying how she felt empowered when she made that move. She wanted to make a full circle moment like that. But Chicago has been a team in the past where they they were right there. They just have to have that missing piece um, filled in to get over that hump. Um, and I think Candace can do that. They're a team of that's going to, you know, go far right now, and I'm looking forward to that. But look, goodness gracious, WNBA, like, woke up and chose chaos with that one. <laughs> they really did. And finally, we got a player to come to us instead of MVP leaving us, which is the history of the sky in a nutshell. <laughs> oh. Thank goodness. Oh, look, you are not making Chicago, my life. so you can enjoy Candace Parker back. Yeah, I do. <laughs> You're not making my life easier here, Ari, as uh, we've decided to have a little bit of a WNBA rivalry this year. Sarah, obviously, <laughs> in Chicago, I'm from Vegas, so I decided last year I'm going all in on the Aces. That's going to be my team. So uh, give me some but, sort of scenario where I'm going to be happier than Sarah is throughout the course of this season. <laughs> Premature hot take, you guys are going to be the ones in the final. Ooh, you in Chicago. The Aces in Chicago. Just, no, and, and, you know, my hot takes never really sizzle the way they should, but um, Vegas added Chelsea Gray from the Sparks, too. So they were missing that point guard that can really facilitate and make things happen. And Chelsea does it in the most flashy way, and it's really exciting to watch. So just having the addition of her and then having consistent scoring and Raquana Williams, who also came from the Sparks to the Aces. And she's a three-point shooter. She, you know, she goes under the radar a lot, but before Liz Cambage, 
broke her points record in one game with 53 points. Raquana had scored 51 points, and that was the WNBA single game scoring record. So you have this perimeter shooter that you're adding to your team. You have this point guard that can really, you know, it has a championship experience can lead the team to the right direction. And then if Liz Cambage does decide to play this season, just seeing the chemistry between those two would be really fun. By the way, I don't know if Liz Cambage can interrupt her steady stream of thirst traps to play any basketball. Holy cow, that girl's <laughs> Instagram is... <laughs> Fitz, listen, don't, Sarah, listen, don't... They could do both. I'm serious, though, Fitz. Do not go there in the day. middle of the interview is all I'm saying. Just, it's, I, need you to, I need you to focus on the interview at hand. Um... Katie Lou on the move again. This this is interesting to me, and I, I have to wonder if there's something more to it than just luck because she comes to the sky. She's drafted by the sky, barely plays, mm-hmm. gets hurt. She, she, it just it feels like too talented of a player with too much of a head of steam coming into the league to sort of just get bounced around and not do much. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see how Katie Lou ends up because – you know, her potential has not been showcased yet because she's been injured since her college days. It's been injury after injury. So what a healthy Katie Lou Samuelson can do, I'm really looking forward to. So who stands out, Ari, to you as the, the under-talked-about story so far as we get ready for the season? The Washington Mystics, 100%, because even though they they traded away Ariel Powers, they are getting back Elena Deldon, who actually opted out of the season last season. Um, they, they get a Tina Charles, which, you know, see her back under Coach T is going to be really exciting. Um, Latoya Sanders is, is back with them, too. They gained Alicia Clark, which I can't stress enough, is going to be mm-hmm. impeccable defensively. That's just one of those players that's talked, like, not talked about enough, um, just a defensive threat in, in every way possible. And just that veteran core that the Mystics have, I think that they'll be – just fine. I'm really, really anticipating the signage of um, Natasha Cloud because Natasha, I, we don't necessarily know which direction her situation is going to go. They're still not reached an agreement, but just the core group that's coming back is going to be a core veteran group that, that we know has individual skills and just to see that mash together and then adding that level of defense with Alicia Clark and adding that the seasoned play of Tina Charles would be really fun. And we also don't know if Emma Miesemann is coming back um, because of the Olympic uh, Olympics this year, but the Mystics are going to be great too. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. We're talking to Ari Chambers of Bleacher Report and the founder of Highlight Her. You can find her on Twitter at Ari Ivory. What about the links? They add three players that certainly seems like they're wanting to get themselves into the conversation this year. I don't think you can ever count the links out of conversation. I want to know what Cheryl Reeve is actually going to do with Natalia Chumla. That was an interesting trade for me. I, I, I didn't necessarily see that coming at all, but just knowing that Sylvia is, is getting older and, you know, having to face these injuries year after year, um, just seeing how Sylvia can take Natalie under her wing and groom her to be the post player that we want to see her be. Um, she didn't really get the chance to, shine as much on the Indiana fever, but having her being added to the links is going to be um, interesting to see the nurturing part of that. And then Kayla McBride, I'm excited for a fresh start from her. That's, that's something that, that needed to happen. Um, Kayla was very vocal about mental health and she seems excited about the links and in Ford movement with Cheryl Reeve and the links. My thing is I'm excited about who they're going to draft 
um, because they're great at rookie development. We see it back to back with rookie of the year and just Cheryl Reeve is such a great coach to see um, how she can mix and mold the players to be the type of Lynx players to contribute to the dynasty that they are. We're talking to Ari Chambers. You can check her out on Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report plus founder of Highlight Her. Ari, uh, I'm going to just hijack this and get another Vegas question in. Uh, Mark <laughs> Davis, the owner of the Raiders, is uh, reportedly uh, buying the Las Vegas Aces. So when you see something like that for mm-hmm. an NFL owner, owner to come in and step into the league, what are your thoughts? I think that's betting on women, investing in women, putting your money where your mouth is. Um, there seems to be great league-wide support in that. The players seem to be happy with it. I was a little skeptical because I'm like, MGM, I like the way that they created that energy and that atmosphere. But just to see an NFL, like a person who's heavily affiliated in that, I want to see how they're going to cross-promote that and create allyship between other men's leagues to the WNBA. Because a lot of times we want to we want to be like, yes, bet on women, invest in women. But we don't realize that we need these male allies to sit there and, and, and really um, vouch, right? And, and I know I might get some flack for that, but just to see what he can bring from a marketing perspective, from, from just growing the Aces, they're, they're a newer franchise. And so just to see the, the potential that they can have um, in Vegas under new ownership, I, I, I can't wait for that. And That's you, you, totally you true. A good team. You think a good yeah. team to root for. Yeah, he did. He did. A lot well, of talent look, I, there. I'm from there, and I'm a Raiders fan. So all of my worlds go. are coming together That's, here. Like, right. This whole world. Um, I am proud as heck of Mark Davis investing in the well, WNBA. And, I think and, it's incredible. And the allyship thing is true because it's not just support and allyship from other athletes, but it's funding and it's money and it's history because the, the yep. WNBA is relatively young compared to the NFL. So we'll take all of that. And we'll take you giving us our updates and telling us what we missed. Thank you so much, Ari. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Sarah. It's always fun. <laughs> See ya. Ari Chambers, you can find her on Bleach Report and highlight her. Coming up, I'm going to talk to a former Iowa Hawkeye who has firsthand experience dealing with new Jaguars coach Chris Doyle. What does he think of the hire? What are former Hawkeyes saying? It's coming up next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Friday edition of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. One of the biggest stories that we've had our eye on today is something that we started the show out incredibly fired up about. You want to go back and check it out on the Spain and Fitz podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, go back and listen because we've had plenty to say about the Jaguars' decision to hire Chris Doyle as their strength and conditioning coach. Remember, Chris Doyle has a history with the University of Iowa. He was the longtime strength and conditioning coach there and was relieved of his duties only a few months ago after making racist remarks belittling and bullying players. So uh, there's a lot of history there, and it's something we've been diving into. Now we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we are going to be joined by Terrence Pryor, former Iowa linebacker Terrence Really appreciate you joining us and appreciate your willingness to talk about this because we've been fired up about it. So I want to know, first and foremost, the obvious. What was your reaction when you heard that Chris Doyle is now going to be in the NFL with Urban Meyer as a strength and conditioning coach? Hey, Jason, Sarah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, when I heard the news, um, and this is going to sound cliche, but uh, I, I would gotta say I was shocked, but not shocked, but not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was shocked in the sense that it happened in such a short span of time. I mean, like we said, it was nine months, a little under a year. Um, but I, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised because of the fact that when 
people speak of football, they speak of football in the brotherhood, and people tend to just look at that as the players, right? Um, there's a camaraderie amongst the players, but there's also a brotherhood amongst the coaches as well. So when there is a coach, as uh, Coach Meyer said, that he's known him for 20 years, when there is a coach, um, it, the coach feels as though that he might be able to relate to him, and I'm pretty sure he might show the uh, benefit of the doubt. So uh, in that sense, I, I was shocked, but I, I wasn't surprised that it shocked because of how long it took, but I wasn't surprised because I knew eventually some coach would give uh, Coach Doyle an opportunity. Can you give us a couple examples for those who might not have the details of the behavior that Doyle exhibited that caused you and former teammates to complain? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, there, there's obviously the the situation in which um, I tweeted about um, and for those who don't know, that that was a situation in which um, I, I was injured at one point in time when I was at Iowa. Um, and what we would do when we were at Iowa, when we were injured and you couldn't um, physically do anything, sometimes they would just have you walk around the field. Um, so one time when I was walking around the field, um, uh, Coach Doyle was there. He was standing outside, uh, standing to the side, and, you know, I walked past him. He kind of – me and Coach Doyle had some type of uh, – sometimes a contentious relationship, but it was – it would go, it was more banter. Um, and sometimes, you know, he would say things. So this particular time he, he reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, prior to you feel as though that, you know, football might not be the sport for you. And I was, you know, well, coach, why, you know, why would you say that? I don't, I don't think that that's the case at all. And he said, you know, well, what about rowing or, or something like that? And then obviously the, you know, oh, black people don't like boats and water and things of that nature. Um, so that that was that, uh, mm. there was another situation in which um, a former teammate of mine had uh quit the team at Iowa and he started a organization on campus of university uh, called young black and educated. And um, what we would do is sometimes break up in sessions and work out. And in one particular session, uh, me and there was, it was me and another black player. We were the only two black players and uh, coach Doyle came to us and, and he asked us about what YBE stood for and began to kind of ridicule it a little bit and, and, and um, talk bad about it in a sense. And to me, it just kind of marginalized. I felt marginalized at that period of time. And I was just like, you know, Hey, we're the only two black players here. Um, so that that was one instance. And then uh, one of the other instances that I came across was that, uh, I, at one point in time, we were doing stretches, and on those stretches, we sometimes would have to put our hands on glass. Uh, and at the end of the stretch, we would clean off the glass. So, of course, Doyle was like, hey, you know, prior, clean off the glass. And when he did, you know, I, I began to clean it off, and he just said, you know, this is this is probably what you'll, you'll do. This is probably what you'll be. You'll be, you know, cleaning wow. glass. That are, You'll probably own a glass cleaning uh, business. And uh, to me, wow. you know, in no slight to any of those who who are who was in that profession to me though it kind of stated as though well hey this is this is what you will amass to right this is all that you right. can do so that kind of drove me down the path that I'm in now why you know why I left Iowa went on to Clark Atlanta University and then to Georgia State College of Law to get my um, law degree and uh and that's why I'm using this degree to kind of speak for those college athletes who are in in the positions that I was in and, and others that need a voice we're talking to Terrence Pryor uh, former Iowa linebacker, and, uh, you know, this is all – we're trying to wrap our heads around bringing somebody in that represents your culture as much as a strength and conditioning coach does. So talk a little bit about uh, how the strength and conditioning coach actually influences whatever's happening in the locker room. Yeah, so the, the strength and conditioning coach is, is very, very key. A lot of people don't know that, you know, because – when you think about college football, a lot of you do is think about the players and you think about the coaches, uh, the position coaches, that is, and the head coach. But a lot of people don't understand that, in particular in college, 
you spend a lot of your time, which is the off season, with the strength and conditioning coaching with the staff. So a lot of your development as a player and as a young man uh, happens with between interactions with your teammates during these times and interactions with the strength and conditioning coaches. So the strength and conditioning coaches is, is very key um, to the development of you as a player, one, um, and then you as a young man in that situation. Um, and, and not only that, the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa, when it was this situation, they had a very uh, large uh, hand. They had a really huge hand in, in some of the things that uh, players strive to do, like playing time, right? Because if you spend most of your time with the strength and conditioning coach, their word is going to hold a lot of weight if they come back to the coach and say, like, hey, you know, the guy wasn't performing or he missed a, a workout session and things like that. So uh, the strength and conditioning coach is very key um, in these situations, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't know. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and we're talking to former Iowa linebacker Terrence Pryor about the Chris Doyle hire at the Jaguars. Uh, Urban Meyer said multiple times we vetted him, and I'm curious if you've heard from any Iowa teammates that Meyer reached out and asked them about the hire. So, no, I, I haven't heard um, – I haven't spoken to any of my teammates that said they've been reached out to by Coach Meyer – um, not, not at all. So yeah, I don't know what coach Myers vetting process was. Uh, but, but as far as the coaches, the, I'm sorry, the players that I still speak to and the, um, the people that I interact with, I haven't heard of any, uh, vetting of them in particular about how coach Doyle was and as a coach and, um, uh, what he, what he represented to them. I know I haven't been reached out to. So Greg Maben is on the Jaguars roster. He was also somebody that was vocal in the treatment that Doyle uh, had at Iowa. Have you spoken to Greg at all to see how he's taken this news? I have not. I have not. And, and Greg, Greg, I think, um, came onto the team after I left. So I played at Iowa. For, I walked on in 2009, and I played there from 2012 before uh, going to Clark Atlanta University and continuing my uh, career there. So um, I have not spoken to Greg about it. You know, I would be open to speaking to him about it if, if that's something he wants to talk about, but I, I haven't spoken to him about it. I, I have spoken to a few other players and, and, and kind of, kind of the same thing as I sp- said to you guys earlier, it's more so that we're shocked, but not surprised. And we're just shocked yeah. that, you know, this is something that happened less than a year ago. Um, and then, you know, here he has a, an opportunity. And, and let me, let me be clear, right. I, I'm not, saying that someone shouldn't get an opportunity. But what I am saying is that uh, people should be held accountable. And what we don't want is another situation where, you know, African-American men have felt marginalized, have felt uh, disrespected, and, you know, someone got a slap on the wrist and, you know, hey, we're going to keep our head low for about nine months, just blow over, and then, and what some will call, you'll get a promotion. You'll go from the collegiate yeah. level to the NFL. So This is, um, this is to, failing to, up. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> This is failing up. This is this is privilege in action, right? There's no accountability. He never apologized. He never admitted to it. He denied everything. He got paid a million dollars to leave, and yeah. now he's gotten a better job. I have to ask, Terrence. You know, you said you talked to a couple people. I don't want to put myself mm-hmm. in the place of a, of a of a black man, particularly because, to your point, this can be shocking but not surprising. Because if you get used yeah. to this BS, you're going to have to figure out how to reconcile your life with the realities of privilege and and racism. Um, But if you're on this team, don't you think this is a slap in your face to have this coach come in and say, I don't care how many dozens of people said this guy is racist and that he doesn't respect black players. I'm going to force you to work with them anyway. And and would you have something to say to to Meyer or Shad Khan or somebody else about the hire? 
And, you know, that's a good question. And I think that that raises a distinction between the collegiate and the NFL level, right? I, I believe that until the Twitter feed took place at, at the college level, a lot of us talked about these things, but we would just talk about it amongst ourselves as college players. But we will always have the fear of, hey, man, this might – I might be reprimanded for this, or this might affect me in a negative way. So collegiate players didn't feel as though they had the platform um, until we all stood bold and did it to to express that. But in the NFL, in that sense, uh, they are in a different position, right? They they don't depend on these coaches necessarily to make it to the level that they've already attained. Um, So to me, if if I was a player in that um, situation, I would hold – all my coaches accountable. And I think that's what we need right now. I think we need, you know, players to stand up and, and, um, hold everyone accountable. You know, you hear all the time that, Hey, hold your teammates accountable. If they're not making it across the line in the right time, hold them accountable, you know, team captains, hold them accountable. But I think that accountability needs to trans, uh, send just the players and go to the coaches, to the organization. So, um, to me, it would it be a slap in the face. Uh, uh, maybe so, but but if if it was, I would definitely let my voice be heard. Um, and, and you know, there's only so much that a player can do, but the platform that these players do have uh, is very very huge and it's very important. So if they can use it in any way that they 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 uh could, I think they should. Yeah, I agree, okay. and we appreciate you joining us and and also you know helping to lead people into speaking out more about this. Good on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I um I really appreciate you guys having me. Um like like I stated before, man, this is this is a passion of mine and in and, and particular in this intersection between um law and sports and, and, and you know, now with the the collegiate athletes coming to get their NIL name, image and likeness and things of that nature. This is a, a passion of mine and this is where my practice is gonna focus. So um I really appreciate you guys. Um I, I just want to let everyone know that these college athletes, wow for so long have just been seen as uh, players and, you know, people that have scholarships that need to just uh, perform and not complain. These college athletes are people, right? And, and that Twitter feed this summer um, kind of explained it. These college athletes are people that have a lot to bring to the table. I know uh, college athletes at Kennesaw State who started online fitness goals with Webhead Fitness. I know uh, the young former teammate that I went on, that I explained started YBE. He's gone on to get a doctorate degree and now he's a chief uh, diversity um, uh, uh, official. So uh, to me, people need to start understanding that these players are people um, and they have a voice and their voice matters. Well, we appreciate you joining us to share your, your experience and so much perspective. You guys can follow him on Twitter at tprior51. Terrence, thanks so much for joining us, my friend. No problem. No problem, guys. tprior51 uh, at kingtp51 on Instagram and uh, Terrence Pryor on Facebook. Thank you guys so much for having me. Great Thanks. stuff from Terrence, former Iowa linebacker. Uh, we're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, Terrence just said something I want to get your thoughts on, Sarah. We'll react to it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We were just joined by Terrence Pryor. If you missed it, check it out on the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, Terrence played football at Iowa, and uh, obviously it was there during the era that gave him firsthand experience about what the controversy is around uh, for Urban Meyer hiring Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach that Iowa let go nine months ago after allegations uh, that were then substantiated of mistreatment and bullying uh, and uh, racial things that we, he was doing, the environment he was creating. Sarah, one thing that Terrence said several times, and I really wanted to get your thoughts on it, he mentioned that Twitter this summer changed so much for college athletes. I mean, I feel like 
what we saw over the course of 2020, and maybe a positive that we've seen through the course of this year, is the empowerment of voices for college athletes, particularly that have so often feared repercussion for saying anything. And I wonder how much now in an empowerment era, at what point do NFL teams start to realize that that is the new era of college athlete? They do have a louder voice and do have higher expectations. I, I feel like the NFL is burying their head in the sand if they think that players aren't going to come into the league with a higher understanding of the power of their voice. I'd like to think that's the case. I'd like to think that players coming in now are going to feel more empowered than ever before. I'd like to think that just being a multi-million dollar professional adult athlete gives you more of a feeling of strength and willingness to come forward than when you are in the process of working towards that opportunity, that payday, that dream. Because there is obviously no mobility, no freedom at the collegiate level. You can't just step out of a program and go somewhere else right away if the, if things aren't the way you want. Um, There's a certain level of power for those coaches. It's the same in the NFL for playing time and everything else and with contracts, but you'd like to believe that um, if enough of the players with the Jaguars came together and said, we do not want this hire, that they might be able to change something. I I know it's naive, but I would like to think that there's a line somewhere, right? Even if it's completely fake, even if the NFL, which by all accounts last summer decided to reverse course on the anthem and racism and everything else because they realized that enough of the public opinion had moved, even if it's entirely fake and it's about the bottom line and sponsors, there is not a line on hiring a guy that was fired uh, several months ago for being racist. There's 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 no there's no I, I, I don't want to be naive, Fitz, but it's just I don't understand how we could have accomplished absolutely nothing last year with uh, with the the captive audience the trapped people in our country forced to have a reckoning and have conversations and face uncomfortable truths about who we are that nothing would have changed just a couple months later give us some nba basketball in a bubble give us a couple more store openings give us a new president and all of a sudden there is right back to where we were before where you could just hire someone with this history with dozens of complaints against him and the truth be told, the owners aren't really incentivized to do the right thing. They have a bunch but, but, but of But they billion... should be. Of I course mean... they should be. But they're not. Here's the problem. The people in charge are not having their feet held to the fire. It needs to be in the form of money, and it needs to be in the form of the people that make them that money. So it's a combination of the players really holding out uh, and the sponsors. There need to be enough people around that Jaguars team that say, we are not supporting this product if this is who you're putting out there. Well, I, I also think Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, at some point you can hold the other 31 owners accountable. I'll go back to the Al Davis versus the NFL documentary that we had for the 30 for 30. I watched it, and one of the main points and principles around the lawsuit that Al Davis filed was uh, they continually said we are – all working together as one business. You can't sue your fellow owners because then you're suing your business partners. Well, every business partner right now has a responsibility to look around and say, wait, Jacksonville hired who? And I realize it's a slippery slope to put morality across the the concept of business, but at some point, if the NFL stands for anything, then other owners should be looking at this and saying, wait, 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 wait. There's a line, and this line has gone too far. There is precedent for owners supporting each other in this way, and that should absolutely be done. The only person I feel like could actually force change now would be Trevor Lawrence saying, I don't want to play there. And it's absolutely disgusting that a 22-year-old college kid should have to do the, the thing that owners and, and adults aren't willing to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really sad. And I said to Terrence, I can't imagine what it's like to be you, and I'm not going to put myself in your position, but I'm so angry today 
because I hate being reminded that nothing is changing. I hate being reminded that nothing matters except for money. And I cannot imagine being on that team because I'll tell you, if a known and accused sexual assaulter or rapist or harasser got hired into a staff and I had to work with them every day, I would be deeply uncomfortable. And I imagine that's what those players will feel like. Yeah, we're smart enough to know that it's about money, but we're also smart enough to know that you can't let it go just because it's all about money. Coming up, we'll get back to the dysfunction in Houston. J.J. Watt's gone. What's next for the Texans? We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get... Pre-show, after-show party stuff that's digital only. And, of course, anything on the show that you missed. We started out talking a little J.J. Watt and the surprise release of him by the Texans. To get some more insight on that, we'll go to ESPN 97.5's John Granado. John, thanks for the time. Great to be here. How are you guys? Well, I mean, I like chaos because my Chicago Bears need some help. <laughs> so if we can get Deshaun and J.J., I'll take anybody who's uh, – backing away from the garbage fire that is the Texans. I'm not that surprised by this because of what we've seen in recent weeks, but, John, he's still the face of the franchise and a guy that if you told us a couple months ago was going to walk, not even traded, but walk for nothing, I think we would have been shocked. What do you make of this? Well, hopefully they're going to have to sign a bunch of free agents. I don't know that you're even going to get the compensatory pick. But they should have done this. See, this, this, it's a dumpster fire here. The Texans are a dumpster fire. They should have done this last trade deadline, got whatever they could, let him go to Green trade him to Green Bay or where he grew up or to Pittsburgh to play with his brothers or whatever. But they, they, they don't think. This organization just doesn't think. So now they're letting him walk. And it's the right thing to do if you want to know the truth. It's, it's let him go. Let him go and try to win somewhere. You owe it to him. He has been the face of this franchise. He's going to have his number and his name up on the building. He's going to be in the ring of honor with Andre Johnson. But it's just, it's so bad here. We have given you all so much content from DeAndre Hopkins to James Harden to the Astros scandal to now J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. Y'all should just be thanking us for all of the content that we have been giving you over these last couple of years. And now it's even more that they screwed this whole thing up with J.J. Watt. Instead of getting anything for him, they're probably going to get nothing. And we appreciate you helping us with the content. We're talking to John (laughs) Granato, ESPN 95 or 97.5 in Houston. So, John, in a couple of years when they do a 30 for 30 and we try and figure out how this team went from being up 21 nothing over the Chiefs into the playoffs to being where they are now, a dumpster fire that's obviously in rebuild mode, where's the blame going to lie? Cal McNair. It's squarely on Cal McNair. It's, it starts with the ownership. When Bob McNair was alive, I mean, the, the, the only thing that was ever said about this organization was classy. Now, Bob has a reputation, and you guys have heard it about racism or whatever. I, I, I know I, I worked for the organization. I worked for Bob uh, for with him. There was, he was nothing of the sort. Uh, he didn't like that. President Obama was elected. He was a staunch Republican. He didn't know his audience, and he said it at the time. And it was it was a bad. It, it was he wasn't self aware who he was talking to. And but he was a staunch Republican, and he didn't want a Democrat in office. And then he said, 
you know, the inmates running the prison instead of the asylum. He makes metaphors. But that guy was so, he was such a great businessman. He was such a great person. And then Cal came along. And since then, it has been nothing but mistake after mistake after mistake. He's being led. He was led by Bill O'Brien. He was, he's being led by Jack Easterby right now. It is, it, if you want to call it a worm tongue, if you want it, what, whatever, whatever you want to call it, it is as bad as it could possibly be because he is not an NFL owner. He is not competent to be an NFL owner. And it is squarely, squarely on ownership right now where this organization is. It's a joke. Honestly, if you, you guys, you guys tell me, are the Knicks worse? The Browns made the playoffs this year. Is there a worse organization? Oh, we got James Dolan right in the mix. Okay, yeah. When you are fighting James Dolan for for oh, worst yeah. run organization, you're in trouble. Um, we're talking to John Granado, ESPN 97.5 in Houston. So, John, I mean, there are plenty of people talking about Jack Easterby. There was an expose comparing him to a you know manipulative and diabolical Game of Thrones character. It certainly is not a hidden secret, but there's also been a lot of hinting at culture, hinting at, you know, why guys would want out of there without a lot of open, factual reporting about just what it is that's turning these guys away. Do you have any more information as to what set Deshaun Watson off other than the promises that weren't kept? Well, again, that's squarely on Cal because Cal was talking to Deshaun at the end of the season, the last few weeks of the season about what he was going to do. Uh, who, you, you, Deshaun, he didn't even ask for, hey, can you hire the coach that I want? Would you please just talk to Eric Bieniemy or Robert Sala? Would you please just uh, you know, talk to them? And none of that happened. And instead of just playing the game, just saying, yeah, Deshaun, oh, absolutely. Deshaun, you want us to talk to them? We will do that. Uh, we, we will we placate, just placate Deshaun. That would have been, but, but we really didn't like him. That's fine. He didn't even play that game. And Deshaun was like, are you kidding me? And then they went and hired Casario because that was a Jack Easterby hire. Now, here's the worst thing about Jack Easterby. All of these football decisions, everything that went on, it's the people behind the scenes, y'all. Amy Palchik, PR director. Chris Olson, who was in charge of the cap. Uh, Doug West was operations before Mike Parson, who was the equipment guy. All these people are losing their jobs at the Houston Texans on a daily basis because they're not Jack Easterby people. This is the and you can talk about all the football decisions, which have been terrible, terrible, terrible. But to me, the worst thing is these people are losing their jobs because Jack Easterby only wants people that will be indebted to him in this organization. So all of these people that have been 15, 14, 13 years in the organization are losing their Jamie Roots, the president of the organization. I'm not going to speak for him why he left, but he's out of there because this is a dumpster fire and he doesn't want anything to do with it after being with Bob McNair all these years. This is the worst situation in all of sports, and there's one guy. Well, Cal McNair has let this happen, but Jack Easterby, Jack Easterby is clearly behind it. We're talking to John Granado from ESPN 97.5 in Houston, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So with all that being said, now we know J.J. Watt is gone and all eyes are going to be on Deshaun Watson. Feels like there's a real divide. A lot of national people think that Deshaun's going to be gone. A lot of local people seem to think that he's going to stay and it's all going to get worked out. Uh, two-parter here. What impact does J.J. Uh, Watt leaving have, and do you think he's back? 
I think Deshaun is going to be back. I, wow. I think that uh, there's no way they can get value for him. I just there's no way they can they can do it after all of the bad trades that Bill O'Brien made. Nick Casario's legacy is going to depend on this, and he's just going to say, "Listen, we've got you under contract for five years, Deshaun. You can you want to sit for the year? That's fine. Do you want to retire? That's fine. But we are not going to get rid of you." And and I I really can't blame them because there's no way that they get value with the same value for Deshaun Watson. I, I I can't see any trade scenario where you would get the same value. And, and there have been other guys. Well, King Olajuwon here in the city of Houston asked for his trade. He couldn't get along with Charlie Thomas here. And, and he said, you know, I want out. You know what? He came back and won a couple of championships. So this has happened before where guys have asked for a trade, and they've been able to work it out. I think if they sit down with Deshaun, and it's going to be years before this organization is good again, but if Nick Casario can tell him his plan, he can maybe get Deshaun to get on board, or he, he can tell him, we can't trade you, dude. We just can't. We, there's no value that we can get for you. You're the organization, and we have to have you here. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to John Granado, ESPN 97.5 in Houston. So I, I don't see a path to Deshaun returning, but that's because I feel like when someone has gone this far, um, they whatever was done to them, is, is too much to, to, to reconcile. If Easterby is still the guy in charge and he's the one ridding the franchise of all of these valuable, beloved people, wouldn't you be more likely to see Deshaun Watson saying, I will sit out until you get rid of me versus acquiescing and playing for a team with a culture this rotten? It's a lot of money. I mean, he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table. He's going to, you know, through, through the, the collective bargaining agreement changed. So, they can't possibly, I mean, you know, a lot of teams forgave all of the fines and everything else. You can't do that anymore. And if he misses a season, he'll just have to sit. I, but I he'll get to go somewhere, right? And if he, if he thinks that this place is a disaster, that's losing its pieces, that's run by people who don't know what they're doing, wouldn't you rather give up one year's salary and have a future somewhere else where your career can actually mean something versus just being stuck on a team that's not going anywhere? I mean, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I guess it's not my millions of dollars, but it, yeah. it would be a career that you're that you're losing. But every if he sits, he's still beholden to the Texans for all those five years. There's, he's still under contract for. for well, presumably all of they years. would send him away because they would say we're I, I, not getting him. We have to give him away for whatever we can get. You know. Right now, here's how he could get out of it. He could start insulting the owner. I mean, then yeah. no owner. The James Harden. I, I <laughs> do the, pull the James Harden. Do it. Dude. Deshaun, <laughs> it's not your style, but sometimes you got to just burn things yeah. down. Uh, John, we appreciate the insight. Yeah. Uh, and we will, I'm sure, talk to you again soon because uh, somebody else is going to want out of there soon. Uh, you know, it's it's inevitable, right? So uh, we'll, <laughs> Everybody we'll, wants we'll, out of Houston. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you when the next superstar Thanks, makes, <laughs> makes his departure. Uh, John Granato, 97.5 in guys. Houston. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. It's a Friday, y'all. So we got to get some sports tinder in before we go. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Friday. You guys are out there probably making some bad decisions, swiping left, swiping right, swiping up, swiping down, trying to get your freak on, trying to get some strange. Hopefully not because it's a pandemic still and you got to be safe. But we know what you're up to on Fridays, at least 
you know, a couple drinks in while you're listening to us, Spain and Fitz over here. So we like to join you sometimes. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN Wait, App, Sirius XM channel. I am, uh, I've been drinking for several hours now. Oh, yeah, good, that's, good, uh, yeah, that's why I've been so fiery about these topics. Uh, water, water, <laughs> water. Uh, it is a Friday, though, so we need to celebrate Friday. That's right. It's the Friday of uh, Valentine's Day weekend. So, Fitz, you know, remember that you have a wife a couple states away. Give her a phone call, at least. <laughs> That's about, that's about the best, best you're going to get. I don't know. I thought my, you know, this was, uh, that was the best present Ooh, I had. Uh, there you go. Uh, we've let's... made all of America uncomfortable. <laughs> let's right. stop making those noises. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's start making some bad decisions of our own. It's a little thing we call sports tinder. Sports tinder. Oh, well, now we have to make the noises again because of that guy. Oh. I mean, what does he look like? Like he's, he's I need got to rock know. Solid abs, right? I do. Like, he he wears I, he's probably like the old spice guy. Yeah. Oh, no, the old I, spice guy with like a suit like Matt James on the Bachelor, very fitted, some turtlenecks happening. Um all right, let's talk about Trevor Lawrence. We've talked about him today and potentially a role he might play if he wants to stick his neck out in terms of Jaguar situation with Chris Doyle, but today he was just focused on the football, doing a little pro day. Before he's going to have a minor procedure on his shoulder, looked great, but fits. I guess the question is, was it necessary? Yeah, I'm going to swipe down on Trevor Lawrence doing anything at a pro day. Swipe <laughs> down. I hate it. The more we get uh, footage from anybody, that's just when we start to question things. There's, there's nothing left for Trevor Lawrence to prove. I, at this point, I swipe down on him doing a pro day. However, I would swipe up if I had the opportunity on getting a haircut. Look, Trevor, you come into the league with that. You're never going to be able to change it. Change it now. Oh, or you're going to be stuck with it. He's got that good lettuce, it. man. He's got to keep growing it while he's got it. Uh, I'm going to swipe right on this, actually. Swipe right. It wasn't necessary, but she he told Jane Slater he just wanted to be like everybody else. You dream of having a pro day. You want to show people you can prepare, you can adapt, you can get your throws out. And and uh, by all accounts, he impressed everybody. So I, I'm okay with it. What else do we have to do right now, right? I mean, and also there were 17 teams there, which is not normal when someone's almost a surefire first pick. And that's probably because with Deshaun Watson and the rest of the QB chaos, there's potential for some pretty big dealings going on for draft night. So a lot of teams there to check him out. And in the meantime, while we're all focusing on Trevor Lawrence, there is an impeachment hearing going on. And in case you missed it today, somehow sports found its way into the hearing. Take a listen at this slip. Let's touch now on the second absurd and conflated allegation in the House manager's single article. President Trump's phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Ben Roffensperger surreptitiously recorded. I was unaware that in the offseason. Ben Roethlisberger had become the Secretary of State in Georgia. Uh, that, of course, not his name. His name is Brad Roffensberger. But I mean, <laughs> if Brad's friends don't call him Big Ben, just they should. <laughs> number one, number two, I'm all in for it. Like, I mean, just if we're going to have absurdity, Listen, what I really need okay. is Ben to show up tomorrow and be like, "Hey, I heard I was like mentioned. I, I was the Secretary of State." Uh, Listen, if I had any friends and my name sounded anything like Ben Roethlisberger, I would really hope they would make sure they kept us straight. And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Worse than that, of course, worse than that was a couple weeks ago when Chuck Schumer had a slip of his own. Make no mistake, there will be a trial. And when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection. Oh, no. Insurrection. Oh, no. Against the United States. Oh. oh, 
lot of lot to unpack there. Sarah. You want to swipe, swipe up. on any Super of that? Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> swipe up. Super yeah. like. Thank you. That's what's exactly where we were going to go with that. Where else would you swipe? Let's move on. It's Spain and Fitz. Here's Spain, go, Jason and Fitz on a Friday. Uh, this was probably my favorite thing of the week. Uh, we've seen a lot of Zooms early in the pandemic. If you remember, there was that boss lady who turned herself into a potato by mistake and couldn't figure out how to get it off. Uh, there's someone who accidentally did a Zoom call on the toilet, forgot there was cameras. Uh, this is my favorite, though. This was uh, what we've seen a lot of lately, which is court proceedings that have to happen on Zoom. Lawyers and judges and clients meeting on Zoom. And uh, this, of course, was lawyer Cat, a man who didn't realize he had put the filter on and made his face with articulating eyes and mouth and everything, a cat. We're trying to, we're tr- can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the- it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. my gosh Fitz uh can we can we swipe up right left down on whether or not that moment where he sounded deeply disturbed by the zoom filter actually also sounded like he might be having sex uh yeah I'm gonna swipe up on that swipe up (laughs) super like I mean and also it would take me roughly two seconds to text my attorney and be like hey we're gonna need to part ways if he's ever says in any court proceeding hey guys I'm not a cat. Just for <laughs> just for future ref, I am not a cat. I'm a I'm a here love. I'm not a cat. Uh, no, I have to swipe up as well uh, because swipe up super uh, like my, my guy Mike Ryan of the Levitard Show, who always manages to become a DJ for sound bites and turn them into musical offerings, just had the guy going uh and uh earlier in the clip and just back to back for a good twelve seconds, and it's the hardest I've laughed all week. Uh, wow. Lawyer cat providing such joy uh not uh, Sarah, as joyful Sarah, quickly yeah. i have breaking news yeah i have now seen radio voice guy uh we have been whoa been text a picture of radio okay. voice guy. and he is everything i imagined he is dreamy <laughs> is this wait hold on is this sexual harassment is this hr problem perfectly tailored it's a colleague suit. He's Colleague got fits. a perfectly shaped role. head like he looks like oh. exactly like i thought he would look mm. oh Good, okay. good work by you, Cayman Kelly. I mean, well, I don't yes. have a, tw- I don't have a text with a picture, but I'm picturing it, and it's good, and that's, uh, and that's imagination. So it's not inappropriate for me to picture a colleague and what he might look like based on his voice. Moving on, a man has turned his uncle's bones into a Skelecaster guitar. This photo is absolutely unreal. The left hand is on the strat. I think it's called the fret, right? Um, with the like regular looking guitar, and then the right part where his right hand is is a full ribs down to the pelvis, and uh, his guy's named Prince Midnight and turned his uncle's skeleton into a guitar. Uh, what are you swiping on this, Vince? Yeah, I'm swiping down. I'm swiping down. <laughs> Swipe down. This is crazy. I hate it. Like, I, I, there is no reason I would ever turn a skeleton. Like as much as I love Halloween, there are limits, people, and this crosses every line. It seems maybe illegal, but I guess what happened was he had donated his skeleton to a school for education. Uh, after he died 20 years ago, but recently the school, quote, no longer had a use for the bones. Don't ask me how that happens. And he turned it into a guitar. Uh, I just want to state for the record publicly, if a school no longer has a use for my bones, please do not turn me into a musical instrument, except for maybe a xylophone, because that would be metal. That would be incredible. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. Happy Friday. 
Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.